0: Hello, my name is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and destiny in your lives. I'm not here to share another religion or something to believe in for those that are new. What I am sharing is reality, highly confirmed by massive objective evidence and highly confirmed by transformed lives and subjective experience. I am talking about the very source of reality, the source of creation, which is an ultimate perfection and manifestation of love that is the very source of love, that is what is the source of reality. So, in this brief introduction, I want to introduce those that are new to my website at ultimatemeaning.com. There you will discover a flip book, which is very original, writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me to you. That answers many hard questions and exposes a mastery of deception. And you'll discover that there is many parts of the print that are highlighted in red, and those are links to very profound and amazing YouTube videos that highly confirm from many fields of science and archaeology that what I am sharing here is the very meaning and purpose for which you exist and all things exist. It is the ultimate reality, the ultimate positive there is nothing even in this world that can compare or even come close to what this is. I'm talking about your destiny. If you think your real, your real life is in this life, I'm sorry, you're gravely mistaken. Your real life doesn't even begin until you transition from this body into that ultimate real permanent realm that is far more real than this dimension, far more superior than this dimension. That is confirmed by particle physics. We're only in the third physical dimension, a very limited dimension. There's the fourth dimension, the fifth dimension, all the way up to the 10th dimension, and possibly even more, according to the discoveries in mathematical analysis in particle physics. I've written a book titled Afterlife, Incredible, Irrefutable, which you can purchase on Amazon. 368 pages in a large paperback, six by nine. You will find it more interesting and very thorough in answering questions. More interesting than the best bestsellers on the afterlife. I know that because I've read them. Not a bunch of them, but some. And I've read one that is a bestseller from a Christian perspective, and I found that this one, which I have read in my own book, far more interesting. Not only interesting, but answering questions that are very hard far more thoroughly. Well, this message here is for those that have come to know the one true God for whom to know according to John 17 and the Word of God, the Bible, is life eternal through Jesus Christ. Now, if you're new, I'm sure you have many questions. So I refer you to my website at ultimatemeaning.com because there's also videos there which in the particular one that you'll see where I have a series of videos against evolution and so on. The first one really does explain who the true, one true eternal God could only possibly be. No other explanation and anywhere comes close to being who the one true God could possibly be. I suppose I could sum it up briefly here. I don't wanna take a long time in the introduction. This love, which is who the one true eternal God is, is the highest and purest form of love. No one in the Greek language is agape love. Filial love, which is the feeling love love in Greek, and there's the eros love. But agape love is that quality that always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice. Obviously, any lesser choice as such would have a measure of corruption in it. This love does not condone what is contrary to love in the slightest. It is as it were a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to this love that always chooses the highest lasting good. It is the antithesis of corruption. It is the destroyer of corruption, the opposite of corruption. And that is who the one true God is. And when I describe this love that is so integrous and pure that it will not tolerate corruption, That is only the quality that could possibly be entrusted with unlimited power, life, and authority without being corrupted by it or using all that unlimited life and power and authority in a corrupt way. Thus indicative that he is the source of life, of love, of all that exists. All the people in evolution believe everything's evolving to a higher and higher state. Have you ever ever asked yourself what the maximum result of evolution would be from an infinite past or a very long past of a billion, billion years or whatever you want to say in this physical dimension, although there's many dimensions beyond this? Of course, there wouldn't be anything but one that would evolve according to the theory of evolution because sexual reproduction is a very complex system. And no, all the creations that we see are very complex with sexual reproduction. So you theorize that back. What would be that maximum that evolution couldn't be evolved to a greater perfection because it is already the maximum of perfection? It is what I am describing here. And that ultimate order from the infinite past would have annulled the need for such a thing to be so. And indeed, the evidence is overwhelming from many fields of science and archaeology that evolution is nothing more than a mastery of deception and lies. It is pseudoscience. I can say that with confidence. I've seen all the evidence. You can watch the videos and see the evidence for yourself. There is a reason for which you were created. You were not created as some senseless blob out of coincidence. Or out of time and chance everything in creation is highly designed the little cells in your body have machinery in it that's more complex than the most complex spaceships they have in fact according to the book in doran's black box it describes this as being more complex than a spaceship that would go to other planets reproduce itself and populate throughout the whole universe man hasn't come anywhere near to the complexity of what's in the machinery of one of your little cells and these people are talking about ai technology and everything and their conceit and pride like oh they got something so powerful you only have to go to the other dimensions to know how inferior All this is in the physical dimension. You can learn all about that in my book, Afterlife Incredible, Irrefutable. The other dimensions are so much more superior to this physical dimension. And the people that have transitioned and come back into their physical body because they've been revived by medical equipment time and time again tell people while they're dead, some for two hours, what the doctor or near two hours or, some for three days even, but they describe in detail what the doctors were doing, saying to each other, all the things that were going on in the other rooms and so on and down the road, which they could have not in any way possibly known. This repeats itself over and over again, which is the most empirical evidence, this alone. And they describe in that realm that it is way beyond. Their their ability to absorb information, just like that in a flash, they could absorb a whole dictionary and remember it all. It is way beyond anything in this life. Their eyesight, 360 degrees, can see through objects, can see 10 miles away in detail and so on. And so I could go on and describe this amazing super dimension, which is the spiritual realm. The permanent real realm. This is only temporal The reason for this realm is for you to come to a place where you, through what's going on in this realm, come into a relationship with God and find your ultimate destiny forever. And pleasures of fulfillment that are way beyond anything you can comprehend in this world. Pleasures of fellowship and love with God and his creation that are very creative. The opposite of boring that are ever enlarging without end forever in your life. You can have that. Now the other aspect of this love is that it is so great or so ultimate in its perfection that God could take judgment upon himself for you as a perfect atoning substitutionary sacrifice as he did on the cross in Jesus Christ who rose from from the dead and was seen by over 500 at one time. Four lawyers have set out diligently to write books to disprove the resurrection and were converted in the process because the evidence is so great. Yes, God's love is so great that he humbled himself more than you, a mere creature on the cross. He suffered more than you, a mere creature on the cross. That's how much he loves you as an individual so that you could choose to repent and receive everlasting life. Be reconciled to God by saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Forgive me. Yes, God will forgive those that truly from their heart receive who God is in his love and in his mercy. And so I want to just leave it at that today. Um, this time I'm preaching at about 4:25 or, or so right now, and so I'm a lot more alert and effective at preaching than I was in the last message. That it was where I was really—it was really late, and I was really tired. But I'm here today to share with those that know God and have come to know Him through Jesus Christ that. I share these messages seeking to do what the word of God commands in First Peter 4.11. It says, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. And that is what I will seek to do in this message, is to allow God by his spirit to speak through me. There's another scripture in Revelations 19.10 that says, worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It is when we worship God out of a pure heart and great reverence and awe and love for God that we are filled with His spirit that results in an overflow beyond ourselves in utterances that come forth from the spirit of God so that we are speaking prophetically. In the early church, there was total freedom and liberty for each member in the body to share in the gifts of the spirit. So if the spirit rises in you and you censure to share and it's a song and you don't know what the song is you're to sing out but you got just a seed thought that God put in you you sing it out and God causes it to be a beautiful song maybe even a poem that happens I've seen it happen I've experienced it myself in measure in my prayer life and sometimes even in meetings Or you give a word of exhortation, a word of encouragement, or a testimony, or a prayer, or a prophetic word, or a word of knowledge. But you speak when you sense the Spirit rising in you, and this is greatly lacking in the church. So I am going to seek to give this message out of a heart set and a mindset of worship, because it says, worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What testifies to the reality of God, who has communicated to man his love, In Jesus Christ, the one and only full expression of the one true God in the creation realm, is this love, this love that I want to abide in as I am sharing here. So I'm looking forward to giving a message that I only spent a half an hour on. I What I do is I cast lots to get the possibility of any two chapters in the Bible. I use two independent random applications. I do this with great reverence before God. And then when those chapters bear witness with each other, which they do when I cast lots the first time when I do it, I don't do it more than once. Sometimes I decide to get three to get more insights. Then, after meditating for half an hour, I preach. So I don't really know everything I'm going to share. I just know the two chapters and that there is a theme between those two chapters, as there is today, as there was yesterday when I didn't speak. So I will be covering the last two days, but mainly today, And so I'm praying now that God will speak even to me and reveal things to all of us. Now, before I do this message and share these chapters, I do want you to be aware that I also choose a song by the casting of one. And sometimes when I get the song, it's not the kind I like for putting up on my website so that you can use it on a projector if you're connected to the internet by playing the YouTube video where it displays the words. Nevertheless, it is a song, and so in this case, I'm going to read some of the words of this song as to what God is saying by his spirit by this song first, and then we will play a song as well, which is the one that I did get by the casting of Lot from my playlist on my website at, in this case, ultimatemeaning.com, but the other site is loverealized.com where all my messages are on video so this is the words it's prayer for revival and it goes like this revive thy work o lord now to thy saints appear O speak with power to every soul and let thy people hear revive thy work o lord while here to thee we bow descend o gracious lord descend o come and bless us now revive thy work o lord and every soul inspire o kindle in each in each heart we pray the pentecostal fire revive thy work o lord exalt thy precious name and may thy love in every heart be kindled to a flame revive thy work o lord and bless to all thy word and may its pure and sacred truth in living faith, be heard. you see the emphasis on hearing? That's in this message. Revive thy work, O Lord, and make thy servants bold. That was in the last message I spoke. It was on boldness. Convict of sin and work once more as in the days of old. And even more so. Revive Thy work, O Lord, give Pentecostal showers. Be thine the glory, thine alone, the blessing, Lord, be ours. And there's many more verses. It's got another set of verses that are different, but I don't have time to go through another five verses. So now we are going to play that song that I received by the casting of lot out of 144 songs. Most of them are exceptionally good songs, except for maybe about five that I'm not too keen on. So here we go. We're going to go to that song now and play it.
1: my soul. forsaking God obey He to us will be committed and through us His power displayed Through the cross O Lord I pray For my soul life fall away Make me any price to pay All anointing to receive First we must prepare the vessels that the oil they may contain. Yes, I have full of ditches that they
0: may be filled with rain. First we must go
1: through the Jordan, air anointed from a god. First in death we must be baptized, then experience the time. To the cross, O Lord, I pray, put my soul, I fall away, make me any price to pay, all anointing to receive. Thus I pray, Lord Help me go the narrow way Deal with pride and make me willing Thus to suffer, thee to obey I for greater power pray not Deeper death is what I need All the meaning of the cross, Lord Work in me for this I plead. Yes, I plead, Father. Through the cross, O oh Lord, I pray. Put my soul, I fall away. Make me any price to pay. Full anointing to receive. Make me any price to pay. Full anointing. Make me any price to pay for anointing to receive,
0: brothers and sisters. We cannot pay any price in our own righteousness. It is as we see the joy before the cross or the diamond in the field that we can pay the price. Hallelujah. So, the message is very attuned to what I read in the hymn book and to that song. So I want to share with you now what God is saying by his spirit to the churches in Canada and in the United States. He is calling his people back to their first love. That is for sure. And he wants us to awaken out of the sleep of the loves of this world that have lulled us to sleep and desensitized us so I want to share with you what I received by the casting of Lot today from the Word of God and yesterday as well. I only want to touch on yesterday for time because I feel there's a lot in today's message. So I will first of all, and there's, I would love to go and do, ex, just go through all these verses, reading them and speaking as the Spirit leads. But yesterday, the two chapters that were chosen by the casting of Lot were Jeremiah 48 and Jeremiah 32. And they really have a very powerful theme in those two chapters. And that theme is that in both chapters, it's describing God's judgment on Israel and him driving them into captivity, but then restoring them from captivity. Now, one is Israel and the other is Moab. And in Jeremiah 48, God mourns and the prophet mourns in the spirit over Moab. And he says in verse 7, For because thou hast trusted in thy works and in thy treasures, this is speaking of Moab, thou shalt also be taken to Shemash and shall go forth into captivity with his priests and his princes. And he describes the condition of Moab as a nation. He says, "Cursed be he that doeth the work of the Lord deceitfully. Cursed be he that keepeth back his sword from blood." Now we just sung a a song on the cross, and I know that it's not easy to to put the death, this the flesh to death in our own righteousness. But I want to point out how this is not out of our own righteousness. It is out of a love relationship with God that we respond to God like the woman that broke the alabaster box at Christ's feet, out of such thankfulness for knowing that her sins were forgiven, that she wasn't stoned to death. She knew the mercy of God. And it is out of that love relationship. But it does involve out of that love relationship with God a hate for what is contrary to the love of God that will not condone those things in our own lives that are corrupt. Does that mean that if we sin, that we should be all condemned? No, it means that we come to God and acknowledge our sin. The terrible thing is that we can easily justify even from the word of God and false teachers sin in our lives instead of being like King David that acknowledged his sin. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute sin. King David committed some terrible sins, but he acknowledged his sin and he still trusted that God would be merciful to him. But here's some interesting verses here about Moab. As we continue to read here, Moab hath been at ease from his youth, and he hath settled on his lees, and hath not been emptied from vessel to vessel, neither hath he gone into captivity. Therefore his taste remained in him, and his scent is not changed. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith Yahweh, that I will send unto him wanderers that shall cause him to wander and shall empty his vessel and break their bottles. And it goes on. And he deals, basically, he is going to take. Moab has become used to their rituals of serving God, their rituals. It's become a mere ritualism and not a relationship with God. They fell out of relationship. Their taste remained in them. And the only thing that could bring them out of the deception in their heart that was justifying all kinds of idolatry and sin was that they were, as it described here, put into a captivity that took them out of their comfort and put them into a place where there was no hope where they were cornered to recognize what was only real, where priorities got sifted in the shaking of those things that are temporal from those things that are eternal and lasting. And we go on and we read here. There shall be lamentation generally upon the housetops of Moab and in the streets thereof for I broken Moab like a vessel wherein is no pleasure, saith the Lord and Moab shall be destroyed from being a people because he hath magnified himself against the Lord. Pride. Pride in your military might. Pride in all of the things of your own religious tradition and so on and so forth. But what does God say about Moab? Though he magnified himself against the Lord, in verse 47 it says, in I, Jeremiah 48, yet will I bring again the captivity of Moab in the latter days, saith the Lord, thus far is the judgment of Moab. Now, I did do a lot of speaking there, didn't I? The same is the case in Jeremiah 32, except this is God dealing with the nation of Israel and their deception. And I, and so there's basically the same principle that happened. And what is in the chapter 32 here, is Jeremiah is, the the city is under siege, but his relatives want him to buy some land that he has a right to, I guess, because they were thinking, well, the city's under siege, we better have some money to escape or to bargain with the enemy, whatever. But anyhow, God had revealed to Jeremiah before they came that they were going to come about this. And so it, the Jeremiah says now that he re- recognized that it was the Lord once that had happened. Um, and I won't go into all of that. And so this was also a sign to Jeremiah that God was also going to bring Israel back after 70 years out of their captivity because he was told to bury the uh, seal of this purchase of the property in a vessel and that it would remain there many days. And so it did. And Israel went into captivity. And it says in verse 23, and they came in and possessed it, but they obeyed. That's the promised land Israel after they came, you know, out of Egypt. But They obeyed not thy voice, neither walked in thy law, and they have done nothing of all that thou commandest them to do. Therefore thou hast caused all this evil to come upon them. And we go on, and of course there's a lot more here. But it describes Israel coming out of captivity again. But Israel had come to such an idolatrous place, but look at it describes about Israel in verse 32. But they set their abominations in the house, which is called by my name, to defile it. They put abominations in the house of God. We're seeing that happen in the United States with these terrible things that are going on there in some churches. I needn't say it here on YouTube. You know all about it. And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom. To cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire unto Moloch, so they were offering their children unto demons, burning them alive in fire unto demons, thinking that that would give them all kinds of blessings. How far they had fallen from the one true and living God! It says neither came it into my mind that they should do this abomination. To cause Judah to sin. This is talking about Yeshua, Jesus Christ, because there's God the Father, which is beyond time and space. You see, for God to be almighty, I'm just, this is a side note here, he must be in the three ultimate aspects of existence. As God the Father, beyond the creation realm, beyond time and space, He is fully expressed. The Father is fully expressed. The word Son means expression. The Son is the full expression of the being, the perfection of the being of God, the one and only full expression of the perfection of the being of God into the creation realm. So he experiences the limitations of the creation realm. So when it says, neither did it come into my mind, the Father knew. But the Son is experiencing the limitation in the creation realm here. And of course, the other aspect is omnipresence. So for God to be almighty, he must be in personage beyond the creation realm. He must be in personage in the creation realm and also in omnipresence as the spirit filling all dimensions of time and of existence in the creation realm and beyond with the Father. Side note. But it says here, continuing, so didn't even come into his mind. God was amazed that they would go to such a point. And it says here, And now therefore, thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city, whereof ye say it shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword, and by the famine, and by the pestilence. Behold, I will gather them out of all countries, whither I have driven them in mine anger, and my fury, and in great wrath, and I will bring them again unto this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart and one way. And we were talking about the ways of the Lord in the last message as well. I touched on it. It wasn't the main focus in the last message. I was touching on other scriptures I'd received that I didn't preach on. And one way that they may fear me. This one way draws people into the genuine fear of God that they may fear me forever for the good of them and for their children after them. And let me remind you that the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him and to them will he show his covenant. Let me remind you that it says of the Messiah in Isaiah 33 that the fear of the Lord is his treasure. It is the secret to intimacy with God, to an abiding relationship of love with God, is to enter in to the genuine fear of God. And now I want to go in to the main message. Oh, you'd think that was the main message. I don't know. This is what I really feel God wants to speak on is today. There's a lot in what I received today, that could probably be unpacked and it may take two hours. I'm not going to take two hours here, obviously. I, I did say some things here about these two chapters. They both reveal the secret of right, ever-growing, intimate relationship with God, which is in a right-eating perception of who God is and, is, and God is fully revealed in his mercy. So I want to point out these two chapters that i received as to what god is saying to his people at this time by the holy spirit to wake us up out of our sleep it says in numbers 26 9 to 11 and these and and then this numbers 26 i should point out are examples these are examples And the examples that are there in Numbers 26 are explained in Micah 6. And so in a way, it might be better for me to go first to Micah 6 before I point out these examples. So I want to read Micah chapter 6, which was the second one. And I want to go to the main theme verse first that I have highlighted in green. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? Remember that Israel was offering their children to demons in the fire? They were giving their, probably their firstborn and thinking that that's going to give them some kind of special blessing. Wow. To a false God. Maybe it was a monotheistic, idolatrous perception of God that was the source behind this false God that they worshipped. Shall I give the firstborn of my transgression the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee? He doesn't require of you your performance, your sacrifice out of your own self-sufficiency. He requires of you to do justly. And here's the secret. The second one is very important. To love mercy. And I want to emphasize that. Because loving mercy is what the fear of God entails. So I want to explain that. And to walk humbly with thy God. And that issues out of only the fear of God genuine humility. Remember that the judgment of God came on Moab because they magnified themselves against the Lord. The same was what Israel did, as is what Moab did. And here it emphasizes, walking humbly with thy God, Yahweh's voice crieth unto the city, and the man of wisdom shall see thy name. This is an unpacking of loving mercy, which I will explain: hear ye the rod, and who hath appointed it? What is this saying? The man of wisdom self shall perceive rightly, the being of God, because the name of God entails the being of who God is in the perfectionist love that I described at the beginning of this message, which I will describe briefly this way again. The integrity of God's love that always chooses the highest lasting good will not condone what is contrary to love. It is as a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to love. It is the opposite of corruption. It is the destroyer of corruption that ensures a destiny without corruption, which is heaven, which people experience going to in the afterlife a far superior dimension. With love beyond anything that can be described in earthly language, with pleasure of goodness and fellowship, with God and his creation, beyond anything that can possibly be imagined or described in this limited dimension. And here is what the Lord is saying here. He's saying, the man of wisdom shall perceive rightly the being of God or the name of God. The name of God is very synonymous with... um, The, um, it's the word Shem. And it has the understanding, the word soul, which is also a word for life in Hebrews, the life of the flesh is in the blood. The word soul is the understanding of the reality of who you are in yourself and to yourself. The word name is the reality of who you really are expressed towards others. And of course, in the name of God, there is this being, this ultimate perfection of being, which is love. It says in the word of God in 1 John that God is love, agape love, the highest form of love. This love is rightly perceived. It is perceived not in just, in the sense that you are literally, in a certain sense, in another dimension, eating in or absorbing in the being of God. It is like you're eating god even christ said whoever eats my flesh and my blood and if you don't eat my flesh and my blood you don't have life in you what was he saying he was saying in the context that he was speaking about something spiritual the words i speak are spirit and life and spiritual by the way is far more real than the physical dimension and once i did an amazing study because i know there's the letters of the Greek language came out of the letters of the Hebrew language. And I found out that the word spiritual, and when I put that together with the Greek, I have the notes somewhere, it's amazing. It shows what is ultimately real. And anyhow, it's just amazing. I'm gonna show you a word study on this here in a moment. What I'm getting at here I want to share, first of all, in a little greater context of Micah 6 to explain it. So now I'm going to go to these other verses here and point out some other things in the context of what we've just been sharing here in these very theme verses, the theme verse verses here that I just shared, verse 9 and 8. The verses before that, O my people, beginning of verse 3, what have I done unto thee? And wherein have I wearied thee, testify against me. Why were they worried? Why was their weariness in their performance of worship? Why was it becoming something that was just a performance to them? They had lost the experience of intimacy with God, of a love relationship with God, and they were just going through the motions. This happened to the church of Ephesus. They lost their first love. They were faithful in finding out those that were false apostles and prophets and and, and excommunicating them or whatever because of their their um, evil. They were right on in many things, but they had lost their first love. And I can't go into that. I've got a whole message on, on the Ephesians with some... It's, you know, that's another thing. I could end up talking for a long time in that. I'll just say that Ephesus has a harbor and that harbor was a deep harbor that made them very wealthy, but because they didn't cut down the trees or because they cut down the trees and didn't replace them, pardon me, there was soil erosion. Now it's seven miles away and, and Ephesus is not a rich city because they have no harbor. But back then they were wealthy because of the harbor, but it was because of the erosion. And why was there the erosion? The erosion was because they didn't break up that hard ground and plant new trees. The trees represent the blessing of God that comes out of a love relationship with him, that comes out of revival. But what causes revival to dissipate is unthankfulness, is ending up like the church of Ephesus in routine. And so we lose our first love. And we become shallow in our heart because we haven't learned to break up the fallow ground. God is calling for his people to break up the fallow ground so that he can cause the rain to come as was described in the song that we sung. Break up your fallow ground. Now I didn't say that exactly in the song. And I think it was the song yesterday it was a song yesterday not today in the previous message that if you go to that song it was talking about the ditches in the valley and so on i don't know if it's in this song i think it was the previous one but it could be in this one so what do we have here he talks about how he brought them out of the land of egypt and redeemed the out of the house he says why are you weary And I sent before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember now what Balak, the king of Moab, consulted, and what Balaam, the son of Beer, answered him from Shittim and Gilgal, that ye may know the righteousness of the Lord, of Yahweh. Consider what he prophesied. He prophesied blessing on you. And yet here you are, my people. You don't know my righteousness. You're trying. You're you're weary of me. You're just bringing performance before me. I want to have a love relationship with you. I'm jealous for you, says God. And you're breaking my heart because you're going and justifying all of these deceptions in your life. So you can love the temporal things of this world instead of the relationship with me. And you allow those things to, to manipulate. That manipulate you like bait through powers of darkness that you fall and pray to. Baal, the son of Beer, answers. And so what do we read here? Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings and calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? No. So down here in this verse, when it's talking about perceiving rightly, it's the man of wisdom that perceives who God is in such a way that he eats him into his being, into a heart intimate relationship with him. Christ said, accept ye eat of my body and drink of my blood. And I want to emphasize that the first aspect of the love of God that is, the integrity of God's love is represented in the negative symbol. And the second aspect of God's love, that is so great that he could take judgment upon himself for you and suffer more than you a mere creature and humble himself more than you a mere creature, that aspect is represented in the crossing out of the negative symbol, which forms the symbol of the cross, which happens to be the last letter of the alphabet of the most ancient languages, including including Hebrew, that go back to 1500, 2000 BC, and so on, and a lot of other languages in that area, like the Phoenicians, and so on. And that last letter meant sign or symbol, which is what the cross represents today. It is a sign and a symbol, and that sign and the symbol is what I'm describing. And what does that cross represent? Remember I said that the key here is loving mercy, that the fear of God is in loving mercy. It is in rightly reciprocating, first of all, the purity of God's love, which is his holiness, and not having an idolatrous mindset like Cain, who brought of his own self-righteous works and performance before God and was rejected because he had an unthankful heart that was bitter over all the, consequences of God's holiness. Yes, God's love will be severe in its integrity against corruption in our lives. If we're truly His children, we will say to God, I surrender to you being the potter and me being the clay. If you have to put me through trials to make me into a vessel that is pleasing to you, then put me through the trials. But I surrender. I yield out of love for you, because I see that your holiness is good and that I am unworthy. I'm not going to deceive myself and say that I can be accepted of you and just live and be my own God. Only when we receive rightly the holiness of God and accept his severity against sin in this world instead of saying, oh God, why did he, if there's a God, why did he allow all this suffering? And then you begin to perceive God as some enigma and some power that you must appease because he's ulti- the ultimate power. And then the next thing you know, you think maybe there's other gods like God. like a, Maybe God is an outer space creature and there's all these other gods and you fall into polytheism. idolatry and are manipulated by all these evil things that's how polytheism took place and that is it came out of an idolatrous monotheistic perception of god and i want to emphasize here the word here because it emphasizes hearing it says hear Ye, the rod. In a sense, hearing is another form of seeing and receiving. So I want to emphasize the meaning of this word, Shema in Hebrew, as to the symbolic letters of this word. Yes, it means to hear intelligently. It implies hearing with intelligence with great attention, but let's see what the symbolic letters mean, because I know the symbolic letters and what they mean. This first letter, which is sha, means to eat. That's what it means. The next letter, ma, is life. You're eating life. Life comes out of the love of God. In heaven, the book I've written, people that are in heaven, Know this love, this love of God is the source of all the beauty, of all the goodness, of all the light and the life and the intelligence that comes out of the trees. The trees can talk to you. Yes, they can. In heaven, all kinds of things can communicate intelligently to you, including the trees and the flowers. Yes, even the furniture. Yeah, that's hard to understand maybe for some of you. But what I'm trying to say here is this love involves eating. And that word, that first letter means to press as well, because when you eat, you press the food. You're absorbing something. And then there's life that enters you because you're receiving who God is first in his holiness. It must always be first in the integrity of his love because then you will acknowledge your helplessness apart from the mercy apart from god forgiving you from you can call out and say yeah you're good god i'm glad that you're judging me i'm glad that there's judgment so that corruption will not continue and so the corruption can be dealt with in my life and so then Out of that, you begin to recognize how great God's love is, that He would suffer for you more than you would. Do you realize the people that, like Dean Braxton and Dale Black and others that have been in heaven, that were highly verified as dead for a long time, Dean Braxton, almost two hours, that they knew such a love coming from Christ when they stood before Him, that they knew that Christ would love them, even suffer for them on the cross and die for them on the cross humble themselves more than them and suffer more than them a mere creature even if they were the only one that God created in fact they felt like they were the only one in the universe and that they were so special to God that it was like there was no one else in the universe but them and that they were the apple of God's lie and yet they knew that God loved the others with the same intensity that's how great that love is for you How can you reject a love like that? God is, you can't reject the source of love and of life, can you? Why would you if you reject the ultimate manifestation and source of love and life? What are you left with? The opposite, hell. Torment beyond anything in this present existence, in that ultimate realm. Now, the last letter here is the letter, which is the letter for seeing. It means to See, I could bring up even the website where it says that it, it, it has the understanding I, I want to bring that up maybe if I can grab it quickly. I might be able to Here it is right here. Now I know I'm in the way here a bit. So I'll be very careful to minimize myself and I know I have to do it twice. And then you see here it means to watch to know and shade but it's got the understanding of watching okay. So I just wanted to bring that up and I gotta bring myself back up again. So there we go. So we'll continue with that. So when you look at these words here of the symbolic letters, it means to know. So you come to know God for whom to know is life eternal through this process. And here's an interesting word here. The word hearer has the symbol of the cross. So what are we seeing? Look at the symbol there, right there where I'm highlighting. it. It's the symbol of the cross. So this word means one who hears and obeys. Hearer. In fact, I don't have that fully open there. Maybe if I open up a bit, you can see it better. Oh, I guess that is it all. Okay. So it means hearer. Here it's got it again, this word means attach. So when you're seeing, you're getting attached to who God is, which is symbolized in the cross because it symbolizes the two aspects of his being, which are his love and its integrity and purity, and his love that is transcended to take judgment upon himself for you, a love that you cannot comprehend. Only this love could be entrusted with ultimate life, power, and authority because only this love would be able to use that life, power, and authority without being corrupted by it or using it in a corrupt way, thus indicative that God is the very source. So this here is the key, is that we need to learn to come into a relationship with God where we don't fall into the trap of the Church of Ephesus, where we don't fall into the trap that Moab fell into, where their taste was within themselves and it was mere routine and they were filled with pride and had fallen into idolatry, the same trap that Israel fell into that demanded they go into captivity to be brought to the place where they finally had true conversion in their lives and enter into a love relationship with God. It is very concerning that the church wakes up at this time and does not fall asleep like the church of Ephesus. And so I want to share with you some other things because we haven't gone back to the other scriptures that I received by the casting of Lot, which was Numbers up here. I just want to go up to Numbers to show you what was in Numbers here. It describes here... The account of the sons of Eliab, Nemuel, Dathan, and Abiram. This is that Dathan and Abiram, which were famous in the congregation who strove against Moses and against Aaron in the company of Korah, when they strove against the Lord, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah. When that company died, that time the fire devoured 250 men, and they became a sign notwithstanding the children of Korah died not. So the children didn't receive that judgment. But we know that account. What brought those people to the place where they were so blinded to have such rebellion against Moses was that they did not perceive the reality of God in Moses. And the reason they could not perceive the reality of God in Moses was because they had lost a love relationship with God that was intimate out of the genuine fear of God. For the genuine fear of God is first receiving the being of God and His holiness and reciprocating that right into us or eating the holiness of God into our being, acknowledging our undoneness apart from His holiness, in awe, having... You know, there's something that God wants to restore in the body of Christ out of the fear of God is the awe of God. Half of the brain is created to comprehend awe according to those that are the experts that study the brain. Half of it was created to comprehend awe, and it is something that is lacking in the body of Christ. We can easily go through the performance of rituals and not really absorb the full weight of what we're going through and the reality of what we're going through so that it is a mere performance when it should only be the outward symbol of the reality that we are knowing far greater in our being because of a turning in the heart, a circumcision in the heart that causes the heart to be broken and soft ground enriched the life of god can saturate and cause the seed of life to spring forth in fruitfulness in our lives and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed these people up because they did not see god and it says in the word of god that henceforth we know no man after the flesh even though we knew christ after the flesh Henceforth, know we him no more. How many of us know one another after the Spirit these days? We see one another outwardly and we judge by this and that and we're just in our carnal mind. I have seen it over and over again. And there's no fervent love for one another. If there's not a fervent love for God, out of the genuine fear of God, there will not be a fervent love for one another. That's why it's great to wash one another's feet, to humble ourselves before the one that maybe we find the most difficult to love and say, I see this in your life and I just thank God for you and love that person and encourage them. And if they have offended you, you share your fault with them first so that you can win their heart. That breaks the hardness between us and knits us together in a mighty baptism of love that God wants to bring in these last days to fulfill John 17. Now we go on and we read in Numbers. Here are some other examples. Now this part here, Numbers 53 to 56, just confirms how important the casting of the lot is, which I practice because, so it's unrelated to the topic. But it does point out here that even after they decided that, you know, the smaller tribes would receive this amount and the larger tribes would receive this amount, then it says there, notwithstanding the land shall be divided, even though we've already decided on it, we're going to do it by lot, according to the names of the tribes of Israel, according to the lot shall the possession thereof be divided. But that's unrelated to the message here. So we go on to the part that is related here. And the name of Abram's wife was Jochebed, the daughter of Levi, whom her mother bare to Levi in Egypt. And she bare unto Amram, Aaron, and Moses, and Miriam, their sister. And unto Aaron was born Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. And Nadab and Abihu died when they offered strange fire before the Lord. Why did they offer strange fire? Because they had lost their perception of God and they were wearied with the ritual the way it was, or the performance outward symbolism the way it was, they had lost sight of the reality in it, and therefore they wanted something new, and so they offered strange fire unto God, which was a manifestation of the fact that they had lost their abiding relationship of intimacy in god out of the genuine fear of god that is what caused them to have a strange manifestation of worship and brothers and sisters god doesn't want us to be wacko and weird in our worship paul the apostle said if they come in and they all hear you speaking in tongues they're going to think you're mad But if they come into your midst and they're all prophesying, their thoughts of their heart and the motives of their heart will be exposed and they will realize that indeed the reality of God is among you. Is it wrong to speak in tongues? No, God wants all his people to speak in tongues. It's very important to express our inner being to God. But even that, there can be children brought up in a Pentecostal church and they could have counterfeit tongues because they never entered in to a genuine, reciprocation of the being of God's love. And so there can be strange manifestations of worship. And if people come into your midst, I don't say that we should be a seeker-sensitive church. No, we need to be sensitive to the Spirit and how He moves in our midst. But let us not think that being weird and strange is pleasing to God. If that's all we're seeking to do, because we want some kind of a revival that we're trying to work out of our own strength. We gotta be careful that what we do comes out of a pure heart in great reverence and awe of whose presence we are in, and we need to be more conscious in the body of Christ, of Christ in the meeting, walking in our midst, than what's going on at the front. That's why I don't suggest start out with singing, start out your main church service on your faces before God and become tuned into whose presence you're in, being in awe before Him and praying before Him. And out of that prayer can spontaneously come forth worship, and out of that can come forth the gifts of the Spirit. God wants to restore a new order in the body of Christ, where His house becomes a house of prayer, and where we repent of our loves of the world and become His house of holiness. This is what God is calling for in the last days. Now, I want to go on and read a few more examples here. Here's what we read. But among these, there was not a man of them whom Moses and Aaron the priest numbered when they numbered the children of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. For the Lord had said of them, They shall surely die in the wilderness. And there was not left a man of them save Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. And what do we read of these two men? Caleb and Joshua. Let us read the scripture of what we read of them. Here's what we read. Surely, in Numbers 14, 23 to 24, Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it, but my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him, and hath followed me fully. Him will I bring into the land whereinto he went and his seed shall possess it. And that other spirit that was with him was the Holy Spirit of God that was able to abide with him, as it says in John 14, for he dwelleth with you and shall be anew. He was truly born again of the Spirit. The Spirit dwelt with him, and because he did, the Holy Spirit dwelt with him, he was born anew of the Spirit. For he knew him. He had an intimate, knowing relationship with God. And it is as we receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, we're to walk in him. And how do we receive him? When there was a true genuine turning from the heart out of the genuine fear of God to believe in who the true God really is, not a counterfeit monotheistic perception of God, but who the true God could only be, which is this ultimate perfection and manifestation of love symbolized in the cross or in loving mercy. We go on and we read. Of Joshua. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man departed not out of the tabernacle. Joshua was a man of prayer. And if you think you can have a close, intimate, abiding relationship without seeking God, without disciplining yourself to abide in him and to spend quality time seeking him in prayer. Joshua, can you imagine this young man? He didn't depart out of the temple. He was tabernacle. He was there all the time. When did he sleep? He must have slept in the presence of God there. If he got tired. Maybe he didn't even get tired because he's in the tabernacle where God's presence is. Wow. These people were seekers of God. And that is what is involved in a love relationship with God. That doesn't mean you put merit and long time in prayer. That's a danger too. Or falling into religious duty is always a danger. It is always going back to this right perception that this right eating of God out of the genuine fear of God that allows you to hear that rod and receive the rod of correction. It gives you direction so that you don't need the rod that hurts so much. You know that old song that says, if we prayed more, we wouldn't suffer as much. And then I want to close with this. He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. What is the hearing of faith? It is what we're talking about. The hearing of faith is the receiving of who God is out of a right heart and a right spirit that believes, love believes all things. When we love God, and we have that love relationship with him. We believe a right. We don't psych up things. And God begins to work miracles in our midst. But if we're not knit together in love with God and with one another, he is limited in the miraculous. Because we're not perceiving God aright and we're not knowing one another after the Spirit. So this is the message, and I want to emphasize that I have a book called God Headship and Body Invasion on the Internet, which tells you everything you can do in your local assembly to not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local assembly so that the darkness is broken over your city. And I suggest a strategy also for every city and town or almost all cities and towns across the United States and Canada and around the world to set aside three days of fasting and prayer. And if you can go on an Esther fast because you're in good health, do it. I've done a number of them in my life. I'm not and I found that when God's in it, it wasn't hard. I was a bit thirsty. I was actually felt better than I when I did fast with water in the past. I don't do that much fasting at my age of 74. But I still do. We'll do more and we'll love to do this if people would come together and do this. And you know, right now they're doing this thing and they're calling for 21 days of fasting to pray for Israel. And all oh, for that, that's great. But how come that's what we're doing and we're totally asleep and we're not crying out to God? And when we come together as churches in each town and city across this nation to fast and pray for three days, it's not to have a bunch of people singing songs and talking to us at the front, it's to really turn with all our hearts and really seek God and pray each individual Oh, there can be times when people get up and pray here and there and everyone stands with them. But there should be much prayer and turning in our hearts to God. And the church should never go back to being the way it was. It should become a church that does not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting their local assembly. Then the darkness will be broken over your city. And as that happens across the nation, your nation will be brought into deliverance far more than any of your attempts, although it's very important to do these other things, to reprove unrighteousness, to stand against it. I'm all for that. But the most important thing is that we turn back to God as a nation in our individual local assemblies, small and great. Thank you for listening to this message. Pray for me. God bless you all. Thank you.